What is going on, guys? We are here. The brand new episode of the Punch List MMA Podcast. One of the co-hosts, Dale Lippin, in here with Trey Van Buskirk. Show's brought to you by Stay Classy Meats. Go to stayclassymeats.com. Use promo code FIST. Get 10% off your entire order. Trey, a monumental weekend, a monumental day in the sense that you're wearing another collared shirt, my man. What is going on? This is more of a flannel than it is an actual collared shirt. I, I got gotcha. uh, I want to dress, dress a little bit casual because um, I'm still coming down from UFC 246. I don't know about you, but yeah. what happened and the implications, mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. There's been a, a lot of uh, hullabaloo made about the Connor fight, a lot of other stuff you know, it, it regarding potential opponents, potential matchups, the shuffling of the ranks, all that stuff. Plenty of uh, things for us to deep dive into. Just real quick, though. Is that shirt as soft as it looks? Because it looks very soft, almost like a terry cloth, like a towel almost. What kind of <laughs> what kind of material is that? Is that a is that a cotton poly blend? What is that? Uh, it's straight cotton, and it's been washed about fifteen times. So I refuse to stand up because it looks like a tube top. You can fully see what's going on, <laughs> belly button down. Right. Um, but from you know nipples up, it's looking like a pretty solid shirt. So if you are watching this on YouTube and you want to know where to get it. I have no idea, but, you know, there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, let's dive into what happened, UFC 246. Um, you know, obviously, before we get into the Connor Cowboy fight, you know, there was a lot of other uh, – I thought there was a lot of value in the card. We, we absolutely crushed it from a betting perspective. We went 6-2 and two on the night. We missed the one that everybody missed, um, and that is the Roxanne Modafari-Macy Barber fight. Macy Barber, after the fact, revealed fully torn ACL out at least nine months. I've had one of those. We'll see you sometime in 2021, dear. It's not you're not coming back in nine months. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you sometime next year. And the other one we missed was the Andre Feely Sadiq Youssef fight, which, depending on, I think the way that you look at things, uh, de- determines where you fall on here. But I bring that fight up um, because, like I said, we went six and two on the night. But I want to bring that fight up and start there because I think this is yet again another opportunity to talk about why I think we should have open scoring in MMA because Andre Feely felt like that that fight was either him up or even going into the third round but no judge had it that way and I think it would be monumental had he known that going into the third round yeah I think uh, round one debatable but we did say this on episode one what we did say is we need Andre Feely to fight Southpaw and what did he do going into the end of the second round and all through the third? He fought Southpaw. And every single analyst that was talking, he's like, why did he not do this from the start? Sadiq had crazy troubles with him when he was in the Southpaw position. And that's where he started to capitalize. So, you know, round one, debatable. But like you said, open scoring. I don't know. Did you score it, Sadiq, or did you score it, Andre? Honestly, this was one of the fights that I would I would have been okay with a draw. And I'm not mad at the Yousef decision, and I'm not mad. I wouldn't have been mad if Feely got the decision either. But I feel like in order for Feely to get the decision, it would have been because Sadiq gave the the fight away, you know. Um, but what I don't understand, and why I think open scoring is important with something like this, is you have that first round where Feely had three takedowns. Now, granted. Yousef popped right back up after each takedown, but those takedowns should count regardless of whether he pops right back up or he gives him the control time. Now, round two, 
was arguably a 10-8 round for Yusef. So it could have been, that fight could have been ruled a draw, and I would have been completely okay with that. Because mm -hmm. I feel like Feely won, albeit by a close margin, I feel like he won round one, and he definitely won round three, and I feel like round two for Yusef was a 10-8. If you were ever going to make an argument for a draw for a fight, I felt like that was a good, uh, that was a good place to start. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I don't want to become a conspiracy theorist here, but I do think that the UFC has a little bit of bias, and they see the um, Sadiq, how he's been propelled onto the scene for contender series going forward. He definitely is an up-and-coming hot prospect. Everyone knows touchy-feely, even regardless of what his record is, he has a flamboyant personality, and they want him present, but he's already made his name. Sadiq has a little bit more marketing behind him and how he could be a danger to the division. I don't know how that plays into the judges, but I do think that open scoring, whether that's uh, audience scoring or that's actual uh, definitive significant strikes going forward, something further needs to be put in place, like 100%. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what concerns me and something that I've noticed and just sort of to throw a little bit of gas on your conspiracy fire is that you watch fights now and there seems to be a narrative that the announcers start going with from the time the first bell rings, right? There's always some sort of narrative that they push throughout the fight, regardless of what seems to be happening on the screen. And, you know, that really, um, that's really been something that Rogan's been getting a lot of crap for online lately, is that he, he is pushing a narrative throughout, um, you know, regardless of what's happening in the cage. And, and I just can't help but wonder, you know, obviously the, the, the judges aren't listening, you know, with headsets on to Rogan speak, but there seems to be some sort of collective thought process as to what's going on there. And maybe it's something that's in the arena that we can't see or feel because we're not there, but it's a very strange thing that's going on. Um, yeah, I've said this and I've said this about boxing for years. I don't think the judges should be ringside. I think the judges should have to be in a separate room watching on closed circuit television without any sort of interjection or inflection from the audience announcers, anything like that. They should have to sit there and just objectively watch the fight as it happens uh, in, in a soundproof closed circuit TV room and then submit their scores electronically. I feel like that's the way to do it. If you're going to keep it under the current system, which is not open scoring. My thoughts. I, I totally agree. I think the, the crowd can sway a judge's opinion, regardless of statistical facts that go forward. So like, I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, going from that fight, looking at, looking at some other stuff we saw this last weekend, on UFC 246, what was one of your bigger takeaways as far you know outside of the Cowboy Connor fight? Who had a performance that either you liked or really disappointed in? Who sort of moved around on your collective you know radar for for the good or the bad? Uh, for the bad, I'd, I'm going to start with that. I'll go bad to good. One was Holly Holm. That fight, yeah. I don't care what anyone says. I, there's a way to get the job done, but there's another just to kind of you know, get the points, but you can make no claim going forward that you're justified for anything thereafter. And Holly Holm, uh, Raquel Pennington said it best in her most recent Instagram post is like, you know, I would have liked to do something rather than just hug against the cage. And that's sure. what Holly Holm did. She methodically thought I need to get as many points as possible. I don't want to let Raquel's hands fly. I like Dana White completely believe that the officiating has to be better inside the ring, that 
action needs to be put forth, whether that's damage being done, spider fighters being split up, something has to happen. But when you're hugging against the cage, there is things like dominant positions where officiating needs to let that go. From a jiu-jitsu right. standpoint, that means everything. If you're in half guard, that's a really dominant position to hold sure. on to. But when you're in a clinch against the cage and you're not moving, that needs to be split up. So yeah. I was disappointed in that performance. It was a lackluster for both sides. Raquel should have left his hand, her hands go. Holly should have literally done something a little bit more progressive. I don't know. What were your thoughts? Before I get into my good, I want to know your thoughts on that fight because that's been really controversial, especially that she said she wants a title shot next. Again. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I don't think Holly Holm deserves a title shot based off of that performance. Um, Holly Holm to me is the new Frankie Edgar <laughs> in the sense that she's always one win away from a title shot. And every time she gets that one win, she feels like she's in position for a title shot. Um, when you look at her record, it would indicate that she's been losing more than she's been winning based upon every, seems like every fight that she gets is a title shot shot and then you know uh she loses every title shot and then wins every non-title opportunity just like frankie edgar so yeah. uh it's very much the same th the same sort of story there i agree with the, the sentiment that it appeared that holly did not want to fight i get torn in situations like this right where you you look at a person that exerts a dominant position um whether that's from a jujitsu standpoint, a wrestling standpoint, or in this instance, I guess you could call a striking uh, posture where she's holding her up against the cage and, you know, she's holding that position and Pennington is not doing anything on her end either to help herself out. She's, yeah. she's complicit in the act of stalling by Holly Holm by not doing anything. Um, not that I'm a big advocate for pulling guard, but she could have tried to pull guard. Um, you know, you can always you can always try to do something other than just being held still. And that seemed to be what Pennington was willing to do. And if you're willing to wait 15 minutes for a referee to break you up when he has shown for the previous 14 minutes that he's not going to do that, you're just as complicit in what's happening to you as Holly Holm is in executing it against you. If you're Holly Holm and they're allowing you to just hold this woman up against the cage and you're allowed to score points, why would you stop doing it? Oh, for sure. And yeah. I, I think that's I think it falls more on the officiating than anything else. Jason Herzog is a great referee. This was a bad night. He had a bad performance in this fight. Um, but he, you know, I think Holly Holm did what she needed to do to win the fight. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't entertaining. But in the same way that we've seen wrestlers go in there and just maul somebody by staying on top of them without ever even really threatening a submission because they don't know any, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Tell him he has to stop doing that? No. Right. Like if you look at Khabib versus Abel Trujillo, right? Khabib took him down 21 times in the fight, never threatened a submission once, just kept taking him down. You gonna tell him to stop doing it because he's not threatening to win the fight? No, he's winning the fight. If you want to stop it, stop getting taken down. Stop doing what you're doing. You know, find a way to quit it, to make it to make it stop or quit. You know, yeah. and Pennington just didn't do enough. And it's you know, at the end of the day, Holly Holm did what she needed to do. Pennington has no one to blame but herself for not trying to get creative, and Herzog has to look at it and reevaluate what he deems to be dominant position and when he needs to break things up. It's a learning experience for everybody. So, I agree. I think the ebb and flow from officiating though was atrocious. Um, yeah. 
And it's not just that fight. I mean, we called a lot of predictions very well for this fight. For instance, yeah. Drew Dober. But Drew Dober's punches went a little too far. Way too far. Way too far. And that's that one, um, I wanted to touch on that. I think that's performance of the night as far as I'm concerned. Um, Drew Dober went in there against a blazing, scalding hot, 10,000 suns hot <laughs> prospect uh, in Nazrat Hack Parast and just slept him. Yeah. Um, and you know, who Mark Smith was the referee there. So Dober rocked him, uh, Nazrat hit the mat, Dober put him out and then woke him back up with punches and then put him out again. Yeah. Um, amazing performance by Drew Dober hats off to him. Um, you know, T's and P's thoughts and prayers, the Nazrat hack parast as far as his brain is concerned, he took about six unnecessary shots there. Yeah, yeah, and his most his most recent Instagram post was actually him laying on the couch with an ice pack, blanket up to his ears, and saying, "You know, don't worry, I'll be back." And it's just like, "Oh, you take some time there, brother, before you come back." <laughs> yeah, you're gonna want to take a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah, but another fight that went a little too far was the main event. You know, I think that Cowboy took a few too many hits, and that wasn't stopped. And when you think it was Herb Dean, right, that was the actual ref that night. Yeah. Yeah, I think that went a little too far. I do think that there's a lot of controversy talking about the actual impact that came from Conor McGregor's shoulder punches. What are your thoughts on that? I've heard from Michael Bisping. We've heard from a lot of different people that say, in a real fight, that's more of an annoyance that's, than it is actually painful and or can put you out. Yeah. He busted his nose right away, though. How do you think that affected it? And then was that kind of the real true setup for where Conor McGregor was able to finish it? Yeah. I will say this about Cowboy, right? And the guy's an absolute legend of the game. I've got nothing but respect for a guy that legitimately will fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. But under the brightest of lights, um, Cowboy continues to burn. Um, he does not perform well. I mean, obviously, we see this in, in his title fight performances. Um, and, you know, this, although not a title fight, is arguably bigger as far as the pressure is concerned from where his standpoint is and cowboy is a notorious wilter when it comes to that that so anybody that was really thinking that cowboy was going to go out there and put on the performance for the ages I, I just you know i'm not calling them casual but i'm calling them you know uh optimistic or you know Fan, it's a fantastical idea that he was going to go out there and do really anything more than what he did against Connor. Um, did we anticipate it being a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, competitive? Maybe, um, but you know, it was really when your when your sole strategy has to be to survive until the later rounds and then try to win. That's a tough. That's a tough thing to do. Surviving is hard. Um, Especially against a killer like Connor, and it, you know it came out after the fact. Now the medical suspensions have been have been listed. Cowboy broke his orbital bone and his nose from this. You know we don't know where the orbital came in, whether that was from punches or whether that f was from the shoulder. But we knew the shoulder broke the nose. We could see that in the replay. Mm -hmm. They were effective strikes. Um, but we've seen people get we've seen people get injured off foot stomps before, which again many fighters have said those are an annoyance more than anything else. However. You've got a grown, you have a grown man, grown woman stomping on the top of your foot with the ball of their foot, with their heel. Yeah. You know, how, how many bones are in the feet? Is like 20 something odd bones in the feet. You can break stuff. That can happen. And it can yeah. change the outcome of a fight. Um, 
it was creativity on Connor's part. I don't think it was this masterful performance of the ages like it's been <laughs> build. Um, he did what he needed to do to win the fight. He got it done, and he did so against a 36-year-old guy that's won three or lost three out of his last four and has been finished. Now, in those three fights that he's lost, Cowboy is over the hill in that regard. He's a gamer. He's tough. He can beat probably 75% of the guys on the roster. But the, you know, the hullabaloo that's being made from Connor winning this fight, I think people <laughs> need to keep things in perspective. If you are uh, if you are listening to this on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, I I beg you to go check out the YouTube channel because this entire time Dale has been speaking, I have been smiling ear to ear, and that is mostly because if you have listened to our episodes before, you know Dale is probably the furthest thing from a oh, uh, McGregor gosh. fan. So credit will never be due to Connor. <laughs> but I will ask you this, being that it was very one-sided that we knew Connor was going to beat Cowboy. We knew that Cowboy had the tools to do it, but we didn't know that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Where Where is his next fight? Now, a lot of people are not giving Khabib the time of day in the fact that they're just dismissing, or sorry, no, not giving Khabib, not giving Tony Ferguson the time of the day. They yeah. think that this is a one-shot, it's done, Khabib's going to win that fight, let's set up the rematch. But if you look at it from a timing perspective, Khabib, if he wins that match, and then he goes into Ramadan, that is, we're not talking about a, a Connor fight till you know, October. Yeah. So the question is, who's left? Justin Gaethje, which time and time again, Dana has a vendetta against him, and the fact he doesn't want that to happen, the Diaz trilogy, while it can be exciting, we've seen it twice. Come on. Where do you think what happens next? That is the most largest looming question of UFC 246. Yeah, so, you know, Connor is is, is a student of the game. Um, and, you know, the game that he studied was boxing in the sense that he is following the Mayweather blueprint, right? He likes to fight guys that are either past their prime or before they get good. Um, he doesn't want to fight anybody that's in in the throes of their heyday. Um, so Justin Gaethje, I believe, is out. Uh, I believe Jorge Masvidal is out. Um, I think what we'll see here is a Masvidal-Uzman fight that, that comes to fruition. Um, I think the most likely matchup for Conor if I if Connor was to take this like Floyd Mayweather, I would say that the Diaz trilogy is the next go-to fight. Mm -hmm. um, I know that he said that he likes the May card. I would probably even go closer to Fourth of July before we see Connor again, and then we see an end-of-year showdown with the Khabib Tony winner based on timelines. Um, Connor takes the, the 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 Nate Diaz fight because Nate looked awful against Masvidal that will be an easy fight for Connor this time around um, it at least it absolutely should be anyway um, and he does nothing but build his own hype by doing that and he gets to avoid the Justin Gaethje's and the Tony Ferguson's of the world um, at at welterweight he'll get to avoid the Leon Edwards the the Tyron Woodley's the Jorge Masvidal's the Colby Covington's he'll get to avoid all of them um, I think that something like that, if he, if Connor continues to follow the Floyd Mayweather playbook, I think the Diaz trilogy is next somewhere around 4th of July. International and, and fight week. International fight week. There and, it is. And then end of year showdown, um, with the Tony Khabib winner. Um, yeah. that's the, that's the way I would see it. You know, 
Connor is smart. He's going to take safe fights. Every fight that he takes is safe. Um, the only time that he's had two fights that I would deem not safe to give just due to the, to the legends that he fought were the Aldo fight and the Eddie Alvarez fight. Um, those those were not safe fights, and he had masterful performances in those. But everything since then, the outcome was sort of predetermined. Um, right. I don't. I know you. I know you loved him. You know, or thought he had a puncher's chance against the Khabib against Khabib the first time. But I think Khabib. I think Khabib was an was an accurate assessment of where Connor's always been as a mixed martial artist. He's an excellent striker, and if you're willing to stand there and throw with him, do so at your own peril. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, from a complete mixed martial artist perspective, he's got a lot of growing to do. Um, so every outcome that's ever happened in any of his fights has been what is what was supposed to happen. I think. Um, so yeah, I think the Diaz. I think the Diaz fight is the safe fight. I think that's what he'll take next somewhere around International Fight Week. Yeah, yeah. You talk about safe fights. I want to tell um, everyone one thing that was definitely not safe: proper twelve and ginger ale. That is some scary stuff, man. I had oh, that on during the fight, and all of a sudden, thank God that fight was only forty seconds. Because at about forty-five seconds, I was in outer space, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I I usually do the real man's whiskey and Jameson, and I'll throw a splash <laughs> of ginger ale in there. So Jameson and ginger ale has been my go-to drink for years now. Um, I imagine with how sugary and and, and, <laughs> and fruity tasting proper twelve is that it probably tastes good with ginger ale. Yeah, I can imagine that. Well, yeah. let's uh, let's cheers and let's get into this main card of uh, UFC Raleigh just up the street from you. Yeah, I know it's about four hours away. I wish I was going to make it. I would love. Um, you know, I would love to get to the point where we get press passes and can start making our way to some events and getting, you know, get that tax right off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if anybody wants to hook up, you know, the punch list and, and put us on a network so that way we can get those press passes, that'd be sweet. But let's kick things off. Um, let, I, I'm usually pretty good with names. Uh, I, I would have to have somebody say this name for me for me to really get it right. Um, and that <laughs> that is... <laughs> I'm going to go with Jamal just because I don't, I, I, you know, it looks like Jamahal, but I'm just going to go with Jamal. So, <laughs> um, Jamal Hill taking on Darko Stosic. Uh, Jamal Hill 6-0, and Stosic at 13-3, and kicking off the main card. Look, man, I like Darko. That's a bad man. Um, he is <laughs> aggressive, you know, recently uh, – Lost that unanimous decision uh, to the Ken- Kennedy and Joku or whatever, however you say that guy's last name, mm-hmm. but it wasn't for lack of being a gamer. Um, he was just, you know, I think he was just too little. You know, that, that Kennedy guy is just massive, uh, and to be a six foot tall heavyweight. Um, you know, that's a that's a tough spot to be in. Thirteen three. You know, he lost to Devin Clark, lost to Kennedy and Joku, uh, but before that, he had a TKO win over Jeremy Kimball. Way back when Shogun fought um, Anthony Smith, so if you're looking at it, you know obviously a prospect that has some heat behind him. But you know, same thing with Jamal Hill, six and zero coming off the Contender Series. They're looking to make a name here. You know, it's heavyweights throwing hands, man. What do you think is going to happen here? Well, the reason that uh, Stosic had lost, if you don't remember, was because one of his key things in his arsenal is growing strikes. Yeah. 
ready to kick the guy about 15 times in the balls, and that's yeah, that's, uh, that's going to deduct some points there. <laughs> yeah, because I think it was like a, I think he had a 20, well, I think it was like a 29, 26. So <laughs> right. I mean, if you're looking at that. I think he lost two points for groin strikes. I mean, you're looking at a, you know, a close fight if it wasn't for the, uh, wasn't for the groin strikes. You're absolutely right. But they got this fight at, at, at a pick'em. I'm seeing it in a pick'em at some places. So. Despite the height difference, uh, people seem to think that the skill level is about the same with both of these guys. It's heavyweights throwing hands. I feel like, you know, we'll touch on this with the main event, too. I feel like anytime you get heavyweights throwing hands, uh, that line gets real, real narrow. So mm-hmm. leaning one way or the other here, maybe quality of competition has you leaning towards Stosic. I don't know. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, a, I wouldn't argue either one of these guys, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, yeah. It, it's, so. it's it's tough, especially Hill. I, the one thing you can see in the contender series is the guy is uh, there's a better word to say, but unique is the one I'll use right now. He's got yeah. unique movement, a lot of variability, switches stances a lot. He got he's got kind of this like uh, like old school karate stance thing going as well. So it creates a lot of you know weirdness. And Stosic, he starts off really slow, but if you look at the guy, he's an absolute beast. And if he's able to get Hill down on the ground, it's over. Hill's not even to the same type of like uh, body mass as him. I think if he's able to create that variability, you have something. But Stosic is just, he's on a different level in regards to mass. And like you said, if he lands one shot, it's good night, game over. Yeah. So I want to touch on something real quick too, because last time we we sort of got into the betting, like what betting is and, and how it, you know, how it works and stuff like that. So when we say pick them, what we mean is, is that the odds, Vegas is seeing the odds um, as, as the same amount. Um, so we have the plus and the minus. Um, so normally, like what we'll see with with the next fight on the card. So the next fight on the card is Hannah Cyphers taking on Angela Hill. We'll just transition into that so I can use this as an example here. Angela Hill is a minus 170 favorite. Using a $100 bet, you would have to... Uh, you would have to bet $170 to win $100 if you bet on Angela Hill. If you were to bet on Hannah Cyphers, Hannah Cyphers is a plus 140. So if you bet $100 on Hannah Cyphers, you'd win your $100 back plus an additional $140. So you'd see 240 go back into your account after you initially leverage the 100. When something is a pick'em or even money, that means you're getting exactly back what you put in. So if I'm putting in $100, I'm getting $100 right back. Um, so you get your $100 that you that you won and the $100 that you initially leveraged. So when we say pick them, that's what we're talking about. When we say plus minus, that's what we're talking about. Uh, just, you know, I want to make sure everybody's up to speed. Uh, when we go back to looking at the Jamal Hill Stosic fight, that one being a pick them at a heavyweight fight, heavyweight fight, start of the card, you're going to be sitting there, beer in hand, around the buddies. That's the type of fight you don't care who wins or loses. You want to see somebody go to sleep, flip a coin, throw a 20 spot down on it, and if you win, buy the next round for everybody you're sitting there watching. That's what I would recommend for a fight like that. Heavyweights at a pick them, just, just, just try to win beer money for the rest of the night. That's what I would do. You know, so those are the best friends. <laughs> boneless swings for everybody at B Dubs. You know what I mean? Or at least, at least for two people or something like that. But anyway, Angela Hill taking on Hannah Shockwave Cyphers. This is a hometown fight for Hannah Cyphers, man. Plus one forty. Um, you know, she's stiff as a board, but dude, she's so durable. Angela Hill, super dynamic. Tons of output here. 
I don't know if Hannah Cyphers is going to be quick enough to catch up with Angela Hill here. I see, I see a whole lot of jabs coming out of Angela Hill in this fight. I think Hannah Cyphers' face is going to get busted up. There's going to be a lot of jabs punching, or a lot of jabs pumping rather, and a lot of kicks. I'd I'd say front, you know, oblique kicks, calf kicks, stuff like that from Angela Hill. It's going to be a rough night if Hannah Cyphers can't get get her hands on Angela Hill. Yeah, I mean Angela Hill, though I will say she is the most inconsistent fighter on the planet. I'm not talking about from a a, uh, a fighting standpoint. She fought four times in 2019. Her record was two and two. She's a 500 fighter. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest issues to her is if someone's able to pressure her, that's where she comes into trouble. Like you said, there'll be an output of out of control measure of. Stick and stick and move, stick and move, stick and move. She's gonna jab all day long, run around. Now, what I like about Cyphers is she carries a lot of power in her punches, a lot of power. And she's much smaller, but if she can pressure Angela Hill up against the cage, land something, maybe get Angela Hill down, I think whether she's on top or able to get a little bit of ground and pound, damage her up a little bit, Cyphers could pull a little upset here. I, I kinda like it. Yeah. I listen, I I like the 140, you know, people will learn, if you will, in the new format that I'm not big on betting women's MMA. I think there's too many variables. Despite betting odds, I feel like most women's MMA fights are closer to pick'ems um, than any sort of odd would, would indicate. With that, with that being said, this is a hometown fight for Hannah Cyphers. I like maybe, I like a small play on her here. She's an underdog. You're getting decent return at plus 140. It's a hometown fight. Angela Hill, like you said, is has consistently been a 50 uh, or a 500 fighter. You know, it's 50-50 as to whether or not she's going to win or lose. I like Angela Hill from a skill set standpoint. I think she is the more talented mixed martial artist as a par- compared to Hannah Cyphers at this point in her career. But she is just wildly inconsistent in that regard. Um, but you know, despite the talent level, it's a hometown fight. Hannah Cyphers asked for this fight. She got what she wished for. Let's see if she follows through on it. I'll take Hannah Cyphers plus 140. Small play, conservative, but Hannah Cyphers plus 140 sounds good to me. Love it. I'm all about it. All right. Jordan Espinosa versus Alex Perez. Um, these dudes are going to bang, man. This is going to be a blink and you're going to miss it kind of fight. You're looking at flyweights. Um, Espinosa is wild uh, and creative. And, you know, looking to make a name for himself in a flyweight division that, in my opinion, is wide open, especially now that Cejudo is no longer holding up the belt. You know, you've got Benavidez and um, Figueredo getting ready to fight for the belt. This whole division is wide open. Alex Perez um, is an absolute banger as well. You know, coming off a loss to Benavidez, I'm sure he'd love to go out there, put Espinosa to sleep and make a case for a rematch. Uh, coming off a win against Mark De La Rosa, look, this is this is a great fight, man. Um, you know, the odds makers have this as a pretty sizable uh, favorite for Alex Perez over get, over Espinosa, but I think Espinosa is a live dog at plus two ten here. I really think that he is. Oh, I totally totally agree. Espinosa's got great wrestling, and what we saw in the Perez fight versus ben- Benavides. You know, his takedown defense is completely up to interpretation. We don't know how good it is. It clearly wasn't good in the Benavides fight. 
Espino's got great wrestling. And like you said, he's wild. His striking off his back foot is just as strong as when he's leaning forward. So outside of the wild striking and some good wrestling, I think Espinosa's got an insane shot against Perez here. Yeah, I think I think plus two ten, he's worth a flyer um, on that for sure. You know, and he's coming off a triangle loss to Matt Schnell, but Matt Schnell just hit like his groove there up until that la- his, his last fight, which he got he lost. But Matt Schnell was on a little bit of a tear right there, came out and wrapped him up in a triangle really really fast. But that triangle was a result of Espinoza putting Schnell on his back, and then he just dove in too heavy um, and postured up wrong, and Schnell grabbed the hold of him and just choked him out. I mean, it was one of those things where minor adjustments here and there, and he did if he didn't get so wild with it, he definitely could have, you know, that fight could have gone the other way. I will say this, though. Despite having 30-27 scores against Eric Shelton in, uh, you know, there's a thing with Espinoza where for a flyweight, I'm not overly convinced that he has great cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Perez can make him work, we, we might ha- have a problem. So right. it would be beneficial to Espinoza to put in um, a lot of aggression early, earn Perez's respect, and get him out of there. He does not want to see this fight go to decision. He does not want to extend it. He wants to get him out of there. Use that creativity. Use that power. End this fight early. Collect your check. Go home and, and wait for the next big, the next call, which will most certainly be a bigger name because, like I said, the flyweight division is wide open. I love this. Back-to-back underdogs, dude. We're going to make some people some money tonight. Love it. Listen, if people listen, if people went with Dober, they made tons of money. And if you went with Connor first round at plus two hundred, like we said, you you made tons of money too. So I mean, you're talking about two point four and, and and two, re, you know, two return on your money. So I mean, it's just we killed the last event. You know, um, full disclosure, it, you know, most events we, you, you always want to come out on top. You're not always going to pay your mortgage off every event. Um, and, you know, th- these guys are underdogs for a reason, but it's about it's a matter of finding value where you can. And Jordan Espinoza is great value against Alex Perez here because these guys, from a skill set standpoint, are very, very similar. They've beaten the guys that they're supposed to beat, and they've lost to the guys that they're supposed to lose to. This is an accurate assessment or this fight will be an accurate assessment as to who's going to be moving up and who's going to stay right where they're at. It's just a mid-level prelim fighter, you know, uh, probably for the foreseeable future. So, all right, well, let's get this cracking, dude. We're moving right along here. Arnold Allen taking on Nick Lentz. This was a fight that was cobbled together sort of last minute here. Arnold Allen, super young, uh, highly touted prospect. Nick Lentz, the gamey, wily veteran, wrestle-heavy, durable grit made of mud and spit and brick and bone taking on Arnold Allen man who's an absolute killer Allen's 15 and 1 Nick Lentz 39 and 2 so 39 losses and 2 uh draws there so it's I, I don't want you know I don't want to look <laughs> we got 39 and 2 professional record but no 39 and 2 uh as things go uh, by the way the betting things by the way, betting profiles land. Look, man, this is an interesting fight. Arnold Allen minus 300. Nick Lentz plus 230. But I don't think Arnold Allen has fought anybody as tough as Nick Lentz. But I still think he gets it done here, even at minus minus 300. I don't necessarily think that I want to make a play on Nick Lentz at plus 230. What do you think? 
Yeah, I don't think he's fought anyone as tough as Nick Lentz. I think uh, if you would have taken the Gilbert Melendez of like four years ago, maybe Arnold Allen, you know, that would have been someone that you could have made comparable. Uh, but when he did beat Gilbert Melendez, that was methodical. It was overwhelming. I mean, it put him, you know, into retirement pretty much. Arnold Allen, I mean, is Nick Lentz's, I think, kryptonite. I think Nick Lentz would have been so happy if BJ Penn wasn't fighting people outside the octagon. He got that BJ Penn fight because. Arnold Allen, I think, is legit. His striking's legit. I think he has an opportunity to be top 10. He's 6-0 and in the UFC. He's got great striking. But then again, Nick Lentz, he's a grinder. That guy can bring you down. And Arnold Allen's takedown defense, uh, it's, it's debatable. So right. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, listen – you know, if you're if you're looking back over Arnold Allen, Arnold Allen's wins, you know, obviously his performance in, against Gilbert Melendez was, you know, it was great, but the blueprint came out on how to ge- beat Gilbert Melendez, and that yeah. is leg kicks, leg kicks, leg kicks, leg kicks, and I, you know, the Edson Barboza fight was a perfect example to show everybody how you beat Gilbert Melendez. He is incapable, or rather, was incapable, switching stances and not standing super heavy on that front foot. Um, it's just there was nothing you can do about it. So Arnold Allen comes out, implements the same game plan, and busts up Gilbert's legs. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, the Jordan Rinaldi fight. Jordan Rinaldi is tough, but his he's been largely underwhelming as far as I'm concerned as his performance to the UFC. Mads Burnell, same thing. Um, Makwan Amir Khani, in my opinion, is probably his most notable win to date as far mm-hmm. as what I'm what I'm get gauging as a metric for a skill level because Maquan, even though he just lost to um, Shane Burgos, that guy's ground game is legitimate. And Arnold Allen was able to get a split decision win against him um, with 30-27 pulls, you know, two 30-27 pulls. I like that fight for him, and I think he was able to get it done there. Nick Lentz, obviously veteran savvy and craft, but again, 230, or plus 230 rather. I think it's just I think Arnold Allen's too young, too hungry, too strong for him. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see the Wiley veteran, you know, out grit, out muscle, outlast. But I'm just not seeing it here. Right. Yeah. This is a uh, one you might want to stay away from. <laughs> yeah. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily touch it. But one fight. I mean, listen. The unofficial main event, as far as I'm concerned, with this with this card, is the the co-main event. Michael Chiesa has looked like an absolute beast. Uh, in the welterweight division, 155 was a massive cut for him, and now here he is taking on RDA. Granted, a past prime RDA, but RDA is always a great test as to see where somebody stands from a skill and ceiling standpoint. So Kiesa taking on RDA, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, Dos Anjos at 29 and 12, Kiesa at 15 and 4. What do you think about Mikey Mav, dude? Is this, is he going to get it done on Saturday? Well, I think first, uh, for all those listening that follow uh, the punch list on Instagram, our fan base is very, very smart. I put out, what do you think the most exciting fight of the night is? And overwhelmingly, no one selected anything but Kiesa RDA. And I think a lot of people know it's great striker, great grappler. Fireworks are going to happen in this fight. Now, I also posted a photo of actually I had the opportunity to meet Michael Chiesa and Cody Garbrandt when I was up at UFC Sacramento. And when you stand next to Michael Chiesa, we all know he's a tall dude, but a guy that looks like that, he's probably walking around when I was seeing him about 180, 185, and you see how big he is in real life. 
I mean, that guy, when you grapple with someone who has high BJJ skills, I mean, that is a threat upon threat. RDA, we know the guy can strike for days. Um, I'm curious, though, when he gets threatened with a takedown and it goes, goes to the ground, I think Kies is going to just maul him. I yeah. think that RDA has the blueprint from a standing perspective, but who knows what happens on the ground. We know we've seen issues with, I mean, Kevin Lee when he started to grapple a little bit, but RDA struggles a little bit on the ground, and you've got someone that literally is comprised of all BJJ skills on the ground. Yeah. Do you think that Kiesa is a better striker than Colby Covington? I think that's a tough question. I think the output of Colby Covington is way more. I don't think that Kiesa has the cardio by any means that Colby Covington does. I I, I would have to say Colby Covington has better striking. Okay. I just so when I look at when I look at Kiesa, I feel like Kiesa fights a lot like Colby does. He's constantly walking towards you, constantly right. trying to get a hold of you. And RDA suffered against Colby. That was a that was a beating that of biblical proportions that could have been stopped at any moment. I think Kiesa's got the blueprint on how to beat RDA, and that is to just walk forward like a zombie and not get put to sleep, and you're going to be just fine. Drag yep. him down to the ground, make him work, and choke him out. Kiesa sitting at a plus two fifteen here for this fight. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. That, mm-hmm. that, that. I am like this. I'm not saying this is my biggest play of the night, but this is the fight that I think if you're gonna make money, this is the one to make your money on. Plus two fifteen. Michael Kiesa. This. This. I think that the odds makers legitimately have this wrong. RDA should be the plus two fifteen. Given the way that he looked against Colby Covington, RDA should be the plus two fifteen here, not the minus two seventy five. I love Kiesa in this fight, and I love him inside the distance, man. I think he gets it done inside the distance. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say bet your house, but maybe bet your house. I don't know. Uh, maybe the storage shed. <laughs> the she shed. Yeah. The she shed. Bed the she shed. All right, <laughs> let's get into this main event. We, we you know, we've been talking quite a bit here. So main event. Uh, Curtis Razorblades taking on JDS. This is a huge fight, man. Um, you know, looking at this thing, go, if, if you look at who these guys have suffered against, Curtis has suffered against high-power, elite-level strikers, and Junior Dos Santos has struggled against wrestlers. It is a, another <laughs> striker versus wrestler matchup. And you know what? I love the, I'm a big trends and analysis kind of guy. The UFC has been trending towards wrestle-heavy guys for a while now, and there's arguably no one better in the UFC heavyweight division at wrestling than Curtis Blades. He's sitting at a minus 250, which I still believe there to be marginal value on at minus 250. I think he gets gets it done against JDS in a very ugly, boring, heavyweight laydown fight i think he's just gonna he's gonna drag jds into deep waters and probably finish him very nonchalantly maybe in the third fourth round yeah yeah i think it's gonna be if you remember when curtis blades fought mark hunt now granted was in australia but the entire crowd booed them for all three rounds and the reason was because that's all curtis did was just lay and pray that's what he did but we also seen Curtis Blades' elbows that literally have razor blades in them. He can cut people up. Yeah. And I think JDS, a lot of people thought over time he's become a little chinny. It's been susceptible. So when you look at a striker versus a wrestler, we know he can wrestle and we know that uh, Curtis Blades is going to own that. From a striking perspective, you can't say that for JDS because JDS might just be a little chinny and get clipped just a little bit and be out cold. So I like, I think the safe play would be Curtis Blades, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I think the safer play is Curtis Blades. What he's got to watch is JDS's knees and uppercuts upon entry. Um, one of the things that we've seen with with the with wrestlers as of late, um, you, Curtis probably not going to make the same mistake. But we've seen a lot of guys leading with their heads for takedowns, especially wrestlers. Um, you know where they're shooting their shot from. They can lead head heavy, um, and you know anytime you watch. JDS hit pads. He's always wanting to dig that right hand uppercut. Yeah. He loves that. Hits his flashiest, you know, open workout punch. But there's a reason why he drills that over and over again because he can throw that thing, um, you know, at a trigger pull. It does not take very long for him to get that thing going. Curtis needs to be watch his angles upon entry. He needs to watch his head position. But if he can do that and he can get JDS down, um, I think it's, you know, I think he wins the fight easily. What he cannot do is do a Gregor Gillespie versus Kevin Lee and go out there and yeah. try to showcase what you've been working on in the gym. <laughs> go with what you know. Go with what works. Take my man down, beat him into oblivion, and tap him out or slice him up with elbows and get him out of there in the second or third round and let's all you know go drink. Don't, yep. don't play around. Go with what you know. The skill set that Curtis Blades has is more than enough to beat JDS and get this man a title shot finally. Yeah. I agree. No, I like everything you said. I also like the thing about you just said, let's go get a drink. I think we should get a drink. We've offered a ton of value on this card. I'm excited. People thought they made money last card. This card, man, she shed for everyone. She shed for everyone. (laughs) You get a she shed. You get get it. It's it's going down. No, absolutely for sure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, what? You know, we're two episodes in now, man. Uh, you know, we've seen tons of traction on Instagram. Um, you know, where, for those that are uninitiated, where can they find us? Where can they contact us? Where can they follow along with what we're doing? I mean, you know, fill us in. Yeah, for sure. So everyone, uh, if you're not aware, make to check us out, obviously, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All that's listed under is Punchlist MMA. We value people emailing in questions. We get questions all the time. That's chat at the punch or chat at punchlistmma.com. Um, and then we, you know, we make our social channels very interactive. So it's a lot for not just uh, our opinions, but we value other people's opinions and we have people vote on that polls all the time. So again, all of our social channels at punchlistmma, email us at chat at punchlistmma.com. Yeah. And again, so we appreciate everybody's support, YouTube, at wherever you find your podcast, whatever the case may be. But also, you know, one of the things, and everybody has said this that listen to podcasts, so I'm just going to, I'm going to beat a dead horse for a second here. Podcasts and content like this are made possible by supporting show sponsors. Stay Classy Meets has been amazing to us in allowing us to really do what we want to do. They never, you know, they never approach us and say, hey, don't say this, do say that, whatever. You have a group of guys that are trying to make the world a better place by offering high quality, non-GMO, no hormone, no antibiotic meat. They take every animal, they harvest it on the ranch. So it's a happy animal right until it's, you know, not anymore, if you will. And then it heads, it heads your way, delivered fresh to your door. Guys, check them out, at least go on the website, look at it. You know, let's, let's get at least some clicks to the website, go to stayclassymeats.com. And if you use promo code fist F I S T, you get 10% off your entire order, but they do subscriptions too. So if you use that code, it gives you 10% off every time you get meat shipped to the house. 
every single time you're getting that 10% off. So, um, you know, I, they've done so right by us. I want to continue to give them their just due. And, you know, if you haven't checked them out before, check them out. Stayclassymeats.com. Trey, we're two episodes in, man. Uh, I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm having the time of my life, man. I can't believe we get to do this. I know. I'm having a blast. I'm having, I mean, and then I can justify it with my wife thinking that I'm making money. I mean, it's, it's all good, man. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. One, you know, that's, that's really all it takes is, you know, uh, if once you can clear it with, with the wife, everything's, everything's easier. That's the hardest part. Yeah. It's not, it's not learning how to do this. It's just getting approval to try to do it. And once you get the approval, man, it's all, it's all downhill from there. That's so, it. Yeah. Super easy. All right, let's put a bow on this thing. Episode two in the books. UFC Raleigh taking place Saturday night. Curtis Blades versus JDS main event. You've heard our picks. Hit us up on Instagram. Tell us what you've got going on, and we'll be around. I'm on Instagram through either the Punchlist MMA uh, Instagram or my own, uh, which you can follow through there as well. It's just Punchlist MMA Dale. You can follow me on there. But we. We are on Instagram throughout all the fights, and I will do everything in my power to help win you guys some money this weekend through betting analysis or whatever it is that you need to do. So just follow along and hit us up. Sick. All right. All right, Cheers, bro. Cheers man.